The UC Wellbeing Channel, your portal to a balanced body and mind. Continue your journey at uctv.tv slash wellbeing. I'll be still facilitating for the um, rest of session, and I'm going to be talking about curcumin and the analogs for potential use in Alzheimer's disease. I just just got a, a capsule of curcumin um, from Rudy. Thank you, Rudy. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to show my <laughs> what is the color, but um, my my focus um, of the t- talk today is going to be giving to. Um, of of you, um, our friends and the colleagues, and um, and also to the patients and the families who are affected by Alzheimer's disease. When we talk about the disease, um, our focus has been changed from uh, department neurology, uh, which focused on the the people when they get illness uh, from Alzheimer's disease or multiple sclerosis or ARS, etc. Um, we just opened a new initiative for the Mass General Institute for um, Neurodegenerative Disease, which is um, uh, about 16 years old, not new anymore. Um, our new institute is um, for the brain health, which is ref- reflecting our main theme, the mind-body health. Um, the main focus is preserving and promoting function, preventing disease, including Alzheimer's disease, and restoring brain functions after injury. Today's topic is focusing on developing AD preventive and therapeutics. Um, I'm going to give you evidence um, that AD pathology can be elucidated. Different from traditional Chinese medicine or Tibetan medicine, uh, who focus on yin yang, or one um, one side or the other, or by a polar theory uh, by Dr. Um, Tongxin, who is our audience. Uh, we have, for the traditional um, medicine is different from modern molecular medicine with Western world, is uh, we, we have to use different modern uh, technology, including um, imaging, molecular or cellular biology to look at what's happening in the patient compared to a control population. I'm going to show you evidence, natural compounds including curcumin and analogs and other interventions may change the AD pathology that we have looked using different methods and uh, they can become potential prevent, preventives or therapeutics for AD. Um, Rudy has shown us that Alzheimer's disease is a, is a first and majority cause for dementia. It's a progressive, it is fatal, as there is no cure. It's a neurodegenerative disorder. It's a neuronal death caused by toxicity. It's affect a person's memory, mood, and behavior. It's a disease with high incidence, prevalent, and high cost. Caused the United States, caused China, Europe, um, uh, millions, billions of money. Looking at the history of modern understanding for Alzheimer's disease, it's only over a hundred years. Um, for the traditional Chinese medicine or Tibetan medicine, it has thousands of years with effective um, effectiveness with a proven evidence. Um, but the molecular me- mechanism of AD is only um, characterized by our modern 
molecular biology. So if we look at mechanisms that we talked about, uh, from the mechanisms, it first the case reported um, 1901, followed by um, the patient death and uh, biopsy of, of her brain. Uh, for the next 60 years uh, or 80 years, there's no understanding what's going on inside of the brain. Only happens uh, when we identified this AD-related molecule called A-beta in the heart in 1984, followed by the identification of the AD-related A-beta molecule in the brain the following year, 1985. And then Rudy and other two other uh, groups um, identified amyloid precursor protein called APP, which is, uh, this is a 30-year uh, anniversary. And um, we subsequently, colleagues, identified the familiar AD, AD mutation in APP. Afterwards, um, more mutations is identified, and also the risk allele in APOE, the lipid metabolism, um, risk allele is identified. We also hear in the morning the lipid metabolism is very important for health and for pathology. We later found um, presenilin proteins, presenilin 1 and 2 are important for AD pathology. Um, for this 100 years discovery, it's important to point out a multidisciplinary research in pathology Biochemistry, genetics, cell biology, and molecular biology is crucial to understand this insidious disease. I'll focus on risk factors from this slide because it consists of two kinds of risk factors inevitable, including age. It's an age of disease. Second inevitable factor is genetics. It comes from uh, the family. It's inevitable. We cannot change these uh, factors, but we can uh, learn and change other risk factors that are associated with Alzheimer's disease, including the life exposure, mindfulness that we have been talking all day, um, and others. Um, decreasing the risk factors, including uh, manageable, like other conditions, including stroke or um, Cardiovascular disease may prevent or decrease the risk of Alzheimer's disease. So because this is really important, um, I want to point out that these, these modifiable risk factors and inevitable factors, they might share the common mechanism on the molecular level of Alzheimer's disease. By the ways that we investigate the mechanism underlying inevitable factors by the genetics, because it's unbiased study which gave us very evident um, pro, uh, proof of concept understanding Alzheimer's disease. Using that knowledge we gained from genetics, using disease models, we can find um, the strongest evidence that we can use for modifier. Um, the modifier factors to change the disease pathology. Uh, Rudy has showed that uh, this genetics evidence showed early onset genes mutation in APP, presenilin 1, 2, and late onset uh, allele, risk allele, APOE, uh, lipid metabol metabolism can change the A beta accumulation 
by changing the ratio of longer A-beta species or more uh, neurotoxicity, um, A-beta 42 to 40 ratio, and uh, decrease A-beta clearance from the brain outside to the peripheral. Um, really also showed that this is, if we look at individual, most cases will occur like this way. This is a beta, AD-related a beta protein, accumulate many years, maybe 10 or 20 years, before other molecular markers and symptoms happens. Eventually, this is um, dementia happens in clinic. And by imaging from uh, Thomas Liu, imaging and other um, biomarker analysis, we hope to find effective ways that we can uh, identify on the molecular level what happens um, before the cl clinical symptoms happen. This is so far a very comprehensive um, understanding of what's happening for A-beta um, generation and the metabolism. So this is, comes from uh, amyloid precursor protein APP by beta and gamma secretors to produce this molecule A-beta. If it occur within alpha secretors on APP, it prevent A-beta generation. A-beta can be cleared by APOE outside of the brain, or it can be degraded, or it can form oligomers. Many A-beta small molecules can accumulate. Um, and this process affected by metals, including copper, zinc, etc. So this is oligomers. Uh, they are soluble proteins, and their characteristic is neurotoxic. And they can, um, they can st continue to accumulate and form plaques and uh, affect the generation of tangle, leading to neurodegeneration. So this is um, the upstream amyloid genesis. And downstream processes is affected by these upstream processes. The downstream including inflammation, protein degradation, or the aging-related mitochondria, or et cetera. So we have been focusing on specific A-beta-related interventions, including gamma secretion modulators or curcumin-derived compounds or analogs, which I'm going to focus on today. But other interventions affected, affected the modifier modifiable AD risks, including physical exercise, yoga, mindfulness, um, other mentally enriched activities, reading. Um, and also, we published the first reports that microbiome in Alzheimer's disease model, model uh, mice, that these mice express AD genes. Um, we treat the mice uh, using antibiotics. They can change the gut microbiome and also decrease dramatically the AD pathology in the brain. Also other functional nutrition, functional food have been discussed today, others metabolic syndrome. Um, so we can, so um, like diabetes, et cetera. So what is curcumin? Um, you, you might know better than me, but uh, this is, um, it is from uh, a turmeric. This is uh, used widely in um, 
in cooking. This is a structure that is derived from this plant, and there are also other ingredients. But curcumin is believed to be the key effective ingredient uh, that is um, can relieve pain or et cetera, or bioactivity compound. It's also being used for um, in the bandage here and there, and also be used can be used in tea. On the molecular basis, curcumin, uh, the mechanism includes uh, multifaceted mechanisms, including a beta inhibition, decreasing cholesterol, binding copper, inhibition of tau, etc. It is, seems to be a wonderful um, molecule. It has also, uh, but it has a limitations. Even though it is very, um, very safe, have very high safety, but bioavailability or the brain penetration is limited. So there is a lot of effort focusing on developing curcumin-like compounds to be tested in animals and uh, uh, clinical for various pain-related or, or inflammation-related um, conditions or diseases. Some, some work are still ongoing, but there are, stu- uh, there are some exciting results. Um, for me, I focused on curcumin because there is a report that curcumin can decrease AD related pathology in AD transgenic mice. Um, I have a colleague, radiology department, Dr. Chong Zhao Ran. Uh, he is an expert in designing and synthesizing novel curcumin-like compounds. He designed compounds that can label more effectively than some conventional molecule that who can image this AD plaque. This is results in AD mice brain. When we look at the molecular in cells that expressing AD proteins, we found that curcumin has a dramatic effect in reducing amyloid precursor protein um, trafficking from Golgi or ER to the plasma membrane. You can see when we treat these cells with increasing concentration of curcumin, it decreases the mature APP, which is glycosylated, but increased the immature APP. And this is our protein um, control protein, beta-actin. And this is imaging showing, supporting the APP trafficking is affected by curcumin. Afterwards, we further validated the, the results by using LPS, is an oligo um, glycosylate from uh, the bacteria, which can I- induce a beta or neuroinflammation. So this is uh, A11. This is a protein. This is antibody that we can label um, plaque-related proteins. This is DAPIS showing the nucleus. This is um, the two colors together. This is Alzheimer's A-beta-42 protein. This is nuclear staining DAPI, and this is merged from these two columns. Um, so we can see the curcumin is effective in decreasing RPS-induced AD-related protein change. And 7PA2 express APP mutation 
that identified from Indiana um, family. As you can see, um, this cells uh, generate a result that is consistent with these naive cells. Next, we validate this uh, immunofluorescence using um, a, a different method uh, called immunoblotting. So we look at the protein expressed in this Alzheimer's disease-related protein. Uh, again, this is A11 detecting the plaque from these cells. This is beta-actin, it's our control protein. And this is quantification of the results. This is our APP, Indiana mutation cells results. So from all these results, um, we have the evidence and um, confidence that the AD-related change might be happening inside of the cells. Usually, the Alzheimer's disease plaque is observed outside of the neurons, but emerging evidence showing it might, uh, the change in the early stage might change inside of the neurons. So we collaborated with a biophysist at Harvard um, to look at intracellular A-beta change and other AD-related protein change using a novel technology. It's called nanoplasmic fiber tip fiber fiber, which allows us to look at the protein change and put a protein-labeled nanoprobe into the AD cell model, and we observe uh, the protein change from the single cell level. And this is a quantification. This is naive cells, um, also meaning the cells that are without the um, uh, gene manipulation or gene expression. So this is uh, cells treated with uh, the immune inducer, RPS. We can clearly see that RPS induced the change of AD-related proteins. This is supporting also immune uh, stimulation is related to AD risk. And this is... Um, um, the genetic manipulation of APP Indiana mutation, which also increased AD-related proteins. So using this, using this known information, uh, we are confident that's, that this technology is uh, valid that allow us to go forward and test the other pharmacological agents, including curcumin, for their effects um, to this pathway. Here are the results. This is uh, the, the top, top rule is naive cells not expressing APP gene, um, not overexpressing APP gene or mutations. And uh, this is RPS. This is uh, RPS with curcumin, which can show that curcumin has a strong effect in, in reducing oligomers or the plaque-related uh, proteins. And this is AD-related A-beta-42 protein. And the TNF-alpha is an uh, inflammatory protein. And this is result showing in um, APP Indiana expressing cells. As you can see, the result is consistent with wild type or naive cells. This is A11 signal. This is a beta 42 signal. And this is TNF-alpha signal. The most dramatic change we observed is from A11 oligomer change here. And the change we observed is uh, um, starting from 12 hour, and uh, we observed higher effect at 24 hour incubation of curcumin. 
So it seems everything is all set for us to test our curcumin analogs for their role in change AD-related um, processes. We have over 100, it's a 108 um, curcumin-like compounds. And uh, the effort um, and the credit goes to our um, colleague, Dr. Chun Ran at MGH, Department of Radiology. Uh, he designed all these molecules. As you can see, we have two different classes of uh, analogs. This is curcumin, our first generation compounds, and this is our second uh, generation of compounds. Uh, this is mo modification uh, for, for the first classes on the side chain, and this is in the middle to increase a beta binding and a beta uh, decreasing oligomerization effect. This is our primary goal. After we have this um, library of compounds, we use different uh, methods to validate and characterize these compounds using AD research models. This is fluorescence results showing this compound and a compound with a beta-42 binding and its mutated region for a beta-42, suggesting the specific binding of the compound to a specific region within a beta-40. And this is uh, an MR results showing before the compound and after the compounds showing the uh, binding activity. And this is molecular level showing the com compound binds a metal binding region that is critical for a beta aggregation. Uh, this is our hypothesis showing this compound is effective in, uh, in decreasing a beta uh, metal binding. After this cell-free experiment, we used cell-based ex experiment uh, to characterize these compounds using uh, our cell model. And this is, we tested uh, several um, compounds, and we found one compound called CLCR17, which is a, a winner, has a most dramatically decreased a beta 40 and 42 levels. This is a MSD uh, based analysis, and this is our nanotechnology based, which shows R17 compound decrease intracellular a beta levels. And this is, shows a protein analysis of AD-related proteins change, showing uh, mature APP and immature APP. And uh, base 1 is the first enzyme that cleave APP to generate um, A beta. Um, to our, uh, surprisingly, as base 1 uh, downregulation um, is very significant. And we are further characterizing the mechanism uh, asking whether the translation or transcription, whether they are changed or not. Next experiment we studied is using the microglia, um, as Rudy and the other uh, colleagues discussed earlier today, that microglia and other cells that are responsible for neuroinflammation is key to keep a healthy microenvironment for the, for, the, for, the, for the neurons, to keep the neurons happy. So this experiment we used microglia, BV, uh, BV2, a cell-based model, so we grow the microglia cells, and we treat the cells with curcumin with different R17 concentrations, and we look whether and how much this microglia can uptake a beta-42. Um, to our uh, very, excite, very excitement, R17 dose-dependently upregulate a beta-42 uptake. So this is very, um, to, uh, very exciting to us. 
the next key step is to move from cell-based study to animal-based study. We used AD animals that express Alzheimer's disease genes. We treat these mice with uh, R17 compound uh, for a couple of months, and we used imaging method to uh, look at how much the plaque is changed um, during different time point. And afterwards, we sacrifice. We get a mice brain, and we use different methods to look at plaque deposition. You can see the plaque counting is significantly reduced. And we use ELISA analysis to quantify how much a beta is reduced by um, this compound R17. As a summary, curcumin um, robustly attenuated intracellular uh, soluble A11-related oligomers. These oligomers, we believe, is uh, critical to generate neurotoxicity. Um, we generate a library of novel curcumin-like compounds that are ready to be tested. And in future directions, we want to move on into animals uh, to for tau analysis and for our safety in human studies. So um, we are translating these mechanisms that we learned from genetics, and we want to use that mechanism to translate into um, methods that can modify the AD risk to prevent or cure Alzheimer's disease, uh, hopefully in the near future. So if we focus on AD pathology from uh, this um, circular, uh, we understand the pathogenesis of Alzheimer's disease. We understand risk factors or disease genes, and we use that information of biomarkers you know, for individual diagnosis or prognosis. Um, and then we want to use that information for drug development. We want to decrease specifically the A-beta, uh, but not affecting other APP unrelated proteins. We want to prevent a cure based on decreasing A-beta. And um, uh, a lot of people within um, the group are, um, they uh, make uh, the talk and the research happen. Um, I want to acknowledge Rudy. This, call, this, this talk gives to you and all the, all, all the credit for your mentorship. Um, and um, uh, thanks also goes to other um, colleagues, Thomas Chen, um, Dr. Sehun Choi, Thank you, everyone. So I, I would like to collaborate or, um, for further discussion. But our next speaker I would like to introduce is uh, Dr. Rinchen um, Dudrop. He's an associate professor and uh, doctor for Tibetan medicine at the Tibetan Medical College of Qinghai University. He focused on Tibetan medical teaching, clinical research, and a contemplative study. He arrived in Boston about two or three days ago, has to leave for teaching um, very soon, like tomorrow. Um, and he gave us this talk today, association between macro manifestation and a micro pathological change in patients with CAG, Tibetan medicine. Thank you. Thank you very much for everyone. Um, 
Um, so this is not a kind of a cutting edge uh, talk, but I think this is uh, very useful for Tibetan physicians, clinicians. Because why I why I I, I say that because uh, you know um, in the real uh, Tibetan hospital and uh, Tibetan clinicians, uh, we use a lot of uh, modern technology and uh, biomarkers for Tibetan medicines. But we don't know. Um, it's really difficult to... What is the real... What is the relationship between those images? For, for example, you know, um, CAT scan and uh, MRI and uh, uh, like ultrasound um, and uh, some biomarkers. So what is... What, what is the relationship, association between them? What does it mean? Is that because of some biomarkers, uh, because of, uh, uh, you know, uh, because of heart disease or cold disease or uh, because increase of wind type or bowel uh, type or phlegm type? Really, there's no answer for that. That's why, that's why I, uh, three years ago, I applied... Uh, uh, Chinese Natural Science Foundation. Uh, yeah, I got funding uh, for this research, this uh, project. This project. So I started to work on, on more than 300 patients to collect it. Uh, uh, to collect, uh, I'm still collecting the some micro manifestation, which means urine, tongue symptoms, and. Uh, uh, symptoms and the pulse uh, indicators, diagnostic indicators, and how those indicators correlate to uh, some biomarkers in the blood, specifically CAG. CAG means chronic atrophic gastritis. So how those correlated with each other's. Okay, um, Atrophic gastritis, uh, which basically means uh, there are many causes, genetic and, uh, you know, inflammation, chronic inflammation, which, uh, you know, uh, is a process of chronic inflammation of the stomach mucus, leading to loss of gastric uh, gland, uh, gland, glandular cells, and they're uh, eventually replace, replacement by intestinal or fibrous tissues, which means our stomach become like intestines. So that means can insorb and, uh, you know, not good digestions. So uh, Western medicine, uh, Western medicine, you know, um, Western medicine and this disease, uh, there are several uh, key kind of uh, biomarkers and uh, diagnostic criterias, including helicobacters and some um, when they diagnose this disease, like uh, mononuclear cells and uh, neutrophil cells, and uh, the um, they also use gastric images to diagnose the disease. And recently, they found some gastrin-17 and PG-1, pe uh, pepsi pepsinogen-1, and uh, 
uh, pepsinogen 2. Those are uh, kind of uh, golden uh, standardized uh, molecule for diagnosis uh, uh, atrophic gastritis. So um, uh, there are three uh, major problems. That's why I selected this topic. The first one is uh, if you um, look at the literature in Tibetan medicine, you know, this is uh, atrophic gastritis, kind of new disease, but really to many uh, similar diseases in Tibetan medicines. For example, you know, it comes uh, like not only one disease, several diseases, like a portive and a, um, portive and a gastric rust and a gastric filler, a fire filler. Those are uh, names of in, uh, disease names in Tibetan medicines because they share similar symptoms. So that uh, caused. So what is exactly this disease in Tibetan medicine? You know there are different view on that. There are different uh, you know different views for classification of this uh, atrophic gastritis, which means. Um, people use uh, different approaches uh, to treat the dip- different uh, medicines to treat this disease. That's really, um, as a Tibetan physician, we think this is uh, problems. Second, um, this is a major problem in the police uh, Tibetan Tibet plateaus because uh, gastric. Uh, uh, oh, superficial uh, um, yeah, the superficial gastritis develop to atrophic gastritis, then develop to gastric cancers, and and uh, gastritic cancer is uh, most uh, high, like in- incidence in in Tibetan areas. Maybe there are many mm, causes. Um, in fact, uh, risk uh, factors, but Helicobacter is a very high uh, infection among Tibetan people. So, if you compare um, Chinese people and uh, t- in China and Tibet, and Chinese people in Tibet, Tibet, Tibet is like uh, among gastritis, uh, it reached like seventy-four percent, and. Uh, Chinese people just uh, like 24. So that's why diagnosed, uh, precise uh, diagnosed is very important for Tibetan doctors. Because first you have to diagnose precisely. Uh, then you can prescribe or you can treat the disease. So those uh, because of those um, problems, um, I applied, I, I got this grant, and I designed the, this project. So um, if you look at uh, literature in uh, conventional medicine, um, there's one of my friends who is uh, Professor Tu from China, um, in, in, in Beijing uh, University. Uh, he just, uh, you know, published in 2014, they published uh, and nature communications, you know, how symptoms and disease network, uh, correlated into the networks. 
This really gave me some, in, you know, some idea and insight. And uh, in the future, I also I'm going to use this model to go more deep level for my research. See how disease and genes rela- related each other, and uh, symptoms and uh, genes related each others. This is very important, I think, for diagnosis disease. And uh, yeah, so. Um, in our project, uh, um, so far we collected 166 patients of uh, CAG, and uh, we collected all this uh, urine, tongue, um, pulse, and the symptoms. And the meantime, we also did uh, uh, collected a bl- uh, blood uh, serum test, uh, including by using ELISA method. And uh, gastrin-17, PG-1, PG-2, and also uh, use uh, 14C ultra breast test to uh, test uh, the uh, helicobacters, the, how, the, the value of helicobacters. Yeah, this is our method. And... Uh, uh, this is how we designed that. And we have the including criteria, excluded criteria, and uh, uh, EKG and a physical exam, and a 14C, which is a test for uh, which which is test for uh, Helicobacter and uh, uh, ELISA method for ELISA test for uh, those biomarkers and. Uh, um, we use both Western medicine, uh, conventional medicine, Tibet medicine, and uh, we have more than 100, uh, 100 about 100, uh, 120 indicators collected by each person, uh, each patient. And then we use um, uh, SPSS 20 and uh, specifically logistic regression. Uh, single factor and both multi uh, factors, but I know I just uh, analyze is a very preliminary data. So by using uh, single uh, logistic regressions, so these are result because one hundred patients, but a lot of many indicators over one hundred and twenty indicators. So this is a really huge. Uh, Data and uh, we just did a preliminary analysis on that, including uh, general inf- basic information of patients and uh, physical examination, uh, physical examination analysis, including blood uh, blood pressure and heart rate and body weight and uh, e- ECG and uh, also we uh, analyzed uh, the gastroscopic images ratio. Uh, which means um, there are, you know, gastrotic, uh, gastroscopic images. Um, many Tibetan physicians they do that, but they don't actually use those to correlate it with uh, associated with, uh, you know, different uh, pattern of niba 
which means wind, bow, flam, and uh, you know they don't do that. But I think this is uh, very important. We should collab, you know, uh, make connection between. For example, there there's a bladding, basically, which means bladding, or there's erosion, basically. You know, you can connect it with uh, increasing of bile, increasing of bile type of uh, CAG, atrophic gastritis. So never, uh, yeah, never, yeah. Before the never done that. So I, I just uh, in this research we combined and uh, make a social connection between gastro, uh, gastroscopic images and uh, how to collect, uh, correlate to. Different pattern of nipas. So we also um, uh, analyzed the, the helicobacters. How helicobacters correlate to different pattern of nipas? Wind, bowel, phlegm, pattern of chronic atrophic gastritis, and uh, patho pathological bowel. Biopsy. Um, this is include hyperplasia, uh, dysplasia, and atrophy. The different level of atrophy, metaplasia, uh, intestinal metapl uh, metaplasia, and mononuclear cell inf infiltration and neutral field inf infiltrations. The how the different level correlated or connected to, to the atrophic gastritis and uh, figure out uh, what type of nipa is correlated. So this is uh, just a frequency we found from among 166 patients. So I'm sorry this is Chinese, but I think, yeah, people, mm -hmm. for example, the, there are four levels you know, um, the 80, uh, 89 patients are uh, very um, mild mm -hmm, level. So we also um, analyzed the SIRM uh, test, those biomarkers, gastrin, gastrin 17 and uh, PG1, PG2, correlate to different uh, micro, uh, different uh, symptoms, and then figure out what type of nipa is it? Those are poles, yeah, analyze the poles and uh, correlate to uh, different uh, um, biomarkers. And the urine, uh, different type of uh, indicator of urine include color, uh, steam, and uh, um, segment, those are we use uh, Tibetan medicine to diagnose disease. But how those <laughs> correlate to associate to the different uh, uh, biomarkers and uh, those uh, gastric images and uh, those pathological biopsies? Symptoms, yeah. And then we also did uh, between symptoms and uh, gastric images, symptoms and uh, between um, pathological biopsy and uh, symptoms and uh, uh, 
those biomarkers. So the conclusion is, um, there are two conclusions. Uh, symptoms shows that uh, uh, there are uh, phlegm type is associated with most frequent, high frequent, indicating that prevalence of phlegm type of atrophic gastritis is relatively high, followed by the wind type and then bowel type. So atrophic gastritis is actually a Western medicine, but I use, uh, used the, the way of Tibetan medical thinking to try to this disease to see, uh, theoretically become like a Tibetan, category, Tibetan medical category of disease and uh, differentiate the wind type, phlegm type, and bowel types. And uh, from the symptoms, uh, we found that phlegm type is most uh, highly um, highly occurrence, uh, which is really um, true in Tibetan medicine because uh, uh, gastric, uh, atrophic gastritis because of stomach disease. Stomach, stomach always predominant by phlegm. So from the, the data analysis, it, 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 yeah, it evidenced that. No time? Mm-hmm. Uh, pulse beating show that phlegm type of pulse is most uh, frequent, indicating that prevalence of uh, phlegm type atrophic gastritis is uh, relatively high. But this is, uh, yeah, same like uh, symptoms, you know. From the pulse reading, yeah, phlegm type is most uh, high. Urine, it comes a little... Oh, urine is same. Uh, prevalence of like a phlegm type of atrophic gastric is relatively high. But tongue comes different. Uh, tongue diagnosis comes like uh, indicating that prevalence of bowel, bowel type of atrophic gastric is relatively high. We don't know why. Because this is uh, after data analysis, it comes out. So, um, second uh, conclusion is association between symptoms and microscopic indicators show that wind type is associated with neutral field inf- uh, inf- uh, infiltration degrees, pepsinogen, pepsinogen 1 value and uh, HP positive, hel- uh, helicobacter degree of hypersphere, and uh, bar- uh, yeah, those are correlated, correlated. Bowel type is associated with uh, gastric body erosion, gastric body bleeding, gastric body uh, congestion, gastric bowel reflux, gastric, uh, sorry, this, yeah, uh, bowel reflection. Those are associated. Phlegm type is associated with gastric mocha attachment, which means there are many. If you see from the um, uh, gastroscopic images, there are a lot of mochas. Gastric uh, uh, antral blood vessel revealed 
blended uh, blended type, which means wind bow phlegm blended type, is associated with gastric body congestion, large cur curvature of the food, uh, intestinal uh, met metaplasia degree is high. And bound wind type uh, is associated with gastric body uplift erosion, uh, HP positive, hyperplasia degree. Bile and, bile and phlegm type is associated with gastric bladding. Uh, phlegm and wind type is associated with gastric mucus attachment, HP positive, and gas gastrin G17 value. So, which means from those association, we uh, figure out, we analyzed that this Western type of uh, disease can use the way of Tibetan medical uh, uh, thinking and the theory can differentiate seven types, wind type, bio type, flame type, and the wind bio type, and the wind flame type, wind bio type, and the blended type. So this is, uh, I think this is very new and this is very helpful, useful Tibetan doctors. They can combine micro um, biomarker or micro indicators and uh, macro indicators. Otherwise, they just do, you know, those tests, then useless, just to make money <laughs> or, yeah. So... This is not cut, uh, cutting edge, but it, it is really useful for Tibetan doctors. And uh, this is a new kind of a trend for many uh, traditional medicines, like TCM, Chinese medicine. They also are doing how symptoms are correlated with uh, uh, molecular levels. Then try to find the different pattern. So I think uh, that's it. Tashi Deli, thank you. So, thank you, Renjin, for using the Tibetan theory to stratify all this common clinical disorder. I totally agree with you. Um, so our last, but certainly not least, speaker is uh, Dr. Chen-Chen Wang from uh, our Tufts University. is a professor in um, medicine. She is a doctor of uh, Center for Complementary and Integrative Medicine at uh, the Tufts Medical, Medical Center in Boston. Um, her work focused on clinical and uh, epidemiological studies of the integrated medicine and their application to treatments for chronic conditions. Um, thank you, Dr. Chen. Thank you very much for this last session. Okay. When Martin told me about this conference and a couple of weeks ago, I thought this is just a small group discussion. I didn't realize people from around the world to attend this important conference. So uh, the last session for this Today, the whole lecture I really enjoying very much. So I like to try to focus on um, understanding how to improve and uh, our work in the field of Tibetan medicine. So I, I think the use my example 
use my work example to see how to improve the field. Okay, this is my key talk. I will try to keep it very briefly. Okay, so I work at Tufts Medical Center. Tufts Medical Center also has long history and rich history uh, for integrated medicine. Especially in 1999, we established the first clinical research and uh, for MD-PhD program. So currently, a lot of people, many people from around the world to have the training of the clinical research to become the good scientist. So of the center of integrated medicine has located Tufts Medical Center. Also, our primary mission is to improve health care outcome for patients with chronic condition. We also have three areas of focus, clinical research, education, and training. So right now, I'm go over this uh, chronic pain situation, okay? Because everyone understands right now we have opium crisis, opium epidemic. It's really, really big issue now. So the prescription of opium epidemic is already number one cause death and for American and 15 years old. So as the, in the past four years, it's a great honor for me to serve National Advice Council for Complementary Integrated Health at NIH. So I like to use our example how to develop the five-year strategic plan to see if this can apply the Tibet medicine field. So it, in the past year, and we have the, developed the national NCCH strategic plan. So in this strategic plan, we have the five objectives. So the first, we try advance fundamental science. Like I talked to and uh, Dr. Liu about this. So try to understand uh, neuroscience, neurobiology, and the different kind of, and uh, genetic, and uh, uh, also this afternoon we have many this kind of talk. So it's very important how to advance this field, also similar to Tibetan medicine. The second about prevention. Prevention seems the most important. So this field also, uh, Tibetan medicine also has one key and the element about prevention. So I didn't feel this emphasized in this conference. So also the improve the care for treatment of cure, this also and uh, has to use and many talks in this afternoon and uh, uh, enhance research workforce. So, so here I didn't feel this, uh, uh, there's not a, many young people work in the field. So we really need to train the next generation. So in the past uh, and 10 years, uh, my center has people have come from around the world and training to become good clinical research science for integrated medicine, especially Dr. Moore just come from Beijing and uh, also uh, and training how to use rigorous scientific evidence and to evaluate uh, treating Chinese medicine lupus. The last portion is the disseminate evidence-based information. This uh, everyone or not already know. So our priority topic in the NCCH is pain management. So this also focuses on our work. So Dr. Martin come to my office and uh, two weeks ago, I said, how do you know I work Tibetan medicine? He said, I didn't know you work Tibetan medicine. 
He said, I come here, ask you talk about Tai Chi. I said, actually, I have been working Tibet medicine in the seven years ago. I went to visit Tibet and uh, did a lot of work. And he said, he didn't know. I said, how do you invite me? <laughs> I said, uh, okay, he said, invite me I said, because you very know about this. My body medicine will ask this. Actually, this main work we did Tibetan medicine. So this picture, I took the Tibetan medicine museum. They took me go to Qinghai. I was exciting with the Qinghai. And I went to Tibet. Um, so everything I took from museum. Tibetan medicine has over 2,500 years of history. And estimated about 2,294 variety of remedy for current available. So particularly successful for chronic disease, such as rheumatoid arthritis, this is my field. And then and, uh, the, I visited Qinghai, the take me around to the all different hospitals you see the manufacturer how to make Tibetan medicine and very impressive also uh, so we also studied together for Tibet 5 nectar, uh, nectar bath therapy for rheumatoid arthritis so this is what's the called five tub herb medicine plant so the Tibet 5 and nectar bath therapy is used especially for rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, here, you, know, you see, they take me around to the uh, Tibetan Medicine Hospital, tell me and, uh, about uh, how to treat a patient with rheumatoid arthritis. So this patient is based on differentiation about uh, uh, their diagnosis of the rheumatoid arthritis, then the five herbal medicine mixed together, then this uh, bathroom, if you, have, if you have more money rich, so you can see that you, uh, you can, a uh, single room, if not rich enough, uh, so you can see the two, uh, two different rooms. So I was very, very impressed in the Qinghai, and uh, so they take me and, uh, to visit, visit this room. And so then we just started studied this uh, uh, Tibetan medicine and uh, uh, herbal medicine with rheumatoid arthritis, and we did a review. And so the these are results. So all the study has we find all the studying has associated positive association with the clinical symptom, and uh, 95 percent get a clinical improvement. Also, we've had two study reports improved improved immune system, include CD4 and CD8. This one study observed improved the group strength of two studies stopped all the Western medicine. This is our study. So we find eligible clinical trial also has an eight study. And also we can <laughs> our conclusion. The conclusion is the Tibetan medicine and the medical baths really help in treatment of rheumatoid arthritis. But uh, you know uh, the effects likely to be exaggerated because quality issue because publication bio. So for this conference, I really want to emphasize and uh, how to improve our quality for the, this field. In the morning, and uh, some a lot of good questions ask uh, or ask the expert. So this, and she said, "Well, there's no evidence. Well, we don't know. Uh, actually, this field really need high quality um, and uh, study. So how to improve this field? And in, in the interesting, another interesting story is actually, uh, I present this work." 
and uh, around the world. And three weeks ago, I was in Germany. Actually, I invited Germany in the summer school. I traveled to and uh, uh, east and west and to travel to the four five hospitals in Germany. Then I mentioned, I said, you see, besides the, my Taiji work, I'm also working Tibetan medicine. Uh, everyone said, okay, how about present, present. I also present this work in, in Germany. I speak English, they translate to German. So after that, and all the physicians that want to leave, they just listen. They just really very excited about I'm talking about Tibetan medicine. So I just feel interesting. Until is I work with a younger and uh, Eric, young both younger Eric, this uh, Harvard. Uh, when um, uh, uh, young is Harvard graduate PhD, they both. Uh, I saw the Eric this morning, and uh, he just left. Because this work we have presented many, many times around Europe, around the US, in China. So I just want to mention about this work, it's so important work. In the future, in the, this field, they need a lot of improvement and to conduct a high quality research. And this field, because I didn't feel, and there's many study there, exactly. So now I'm going to go to a little bit, uh, Martin invited me to talk this. Actually, so this talking about the and the Taiji work as a Taiji and uh, uh, this uh, uh, come from evidence-based uh, medicine from the, my colleague NCCH. They published this uh, study about current complementary medicine for treat um, uh, for pain management. Actually, they find strong evidence Taiji acupuncture for knee osteoarthritis and weak evidence Taiji may assist those with fibromyalgia. Actually, most based on our work. So I'm briefly mentioned about this because uh, and Dr. Liu mentioned about neuroimaging study. So I quickly mentioned about uh, how current understanding the central nervous system and pre rule in these uh, fibromyalgia patients. Also for osteoarthritis, also briefly people and the concept are peripheral factors uh, and osteoarthritis because damage of knee joint and uh, cartilage, current understanding, also the central nervous system pre-cavity rule. For rheumatoid arthritis, also similar. It's a complex longitudinal study. Is the patient died, the cardiovascular disease also, and uh, the pain, central pain mechanism. So re really the motor dimension and target both physical, psychological, psychosocial, and, and psychosocial and uh, element uh, for patients with uh, chronic pain. This is the Taiji may play and uh, pivot role. So Taiji just uh, from the my body therapy developed all through ancient time. You know many many study and have uh, support this theory. So I'm used uh, our paper published in New England Journal of Medicine and uh, in 2010. And for just, I'm just briefly use this example to see the how Tibetan medicine can be improved and used and the rigorous scientific methodology can publish in New England Journal Medicine. So this is my purpose come here to talk this. I'm not going to sell Taiji. I'm not going to sell what our work. I'm just thinking use the example how. How how do we think how to improve instead of a lot of anecdotal story or oh, this patient do this work that patient do work so we how how do you think how to improve our work 
So this uh, Taiji and uh, this uh, pictures, the, the tufts, uh, our tufts, uh, and uh, uh, tufts very close here. If you like a visitor there, this beautiful place, this is our patient practice Taiji here, one or twice a week group session for six weeks. So uh, also this teamwork, I just want to say one of my colleague, my best friends, Dr. Karish, this uh, since 2010, and he started work with me for rheumatoid arthritis, osteoarthritis, fibromyalgia until he getting older, you know. And so this was where we started in contact with the top center of the and the CTSA. So in fibromyalgia results, so you can see the top curve is controls the bottom Taiji, and you can see uh, compare control groups. Taiji group uh, has this gradual state improvement. So the uh, between group really statistically significant. We recently also just completed this large study and we use a pilot study, we conduct this comparative effect research, developed five group. We also find the Taiji group has the longer duration has a statistically significant improvement compared to aerobic exercise. For osteoarthritis, we also had and uh, it's a pilot study. We also find the patients at 12 weeks significant, significant reduced pain, and patient practice long-term Taiji also still significant improvement. For patient continue practice Taiji, continue reach significant. Um, this paper published annual internal medicine this last year. You can see it and. Uh, for patients, both groups and uh, compare physical therapies and all uh, significant different. But uh, 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 compare the t- uh, control uh, physical therapy group, Taiji group, uh, improve psychological health and quality of life. For rheumatoid arthritis, also for patients, compare the control group and Taiji group significantly improves American College rheumatology 20% and uh, uh, improvement. So the mechanism study, many, many of my colleagues did a great mechanism study to identify multiple active ingredients of Taiji. So this reason I talked to Dr. Liu about, about this and uh, how, uh, how to and, uh, improve our fundamental science. So this study we published to um, plus one. We try to understand the uh, my body therapy and the immune system and um, the mental analysis would do find the Taiji really reduce inflammation. Do you remember this morning? And I remember Kino address the first Kino address. People ask a question about inflammation. He said, "Azama disease it is inflammation. If you control inflammation, and you will and uh, prevent." Azama, maybe maybe I'm uh, misunderstand, but what he what he said, so very uh, impressive. So how to control information? How Tibetan medicine can and uh, play the key role in this field? So we also did a neuroimage study. Uh, I'm not going to present too much because expert here, <laughs> Dr. Liu, very expert. He uh, we uh, he did a wonderful job explained about neuroimaging and uh, how Taiji improved the neuroimaging study. Okay, and uh, this this uh, Mary story has published in New York Times in 2010, has uh, cited many many times, and uh, because Mary's story uh, has a Mary practice Taiji and six months and 
mentioned about reduced medication, reduced pain, improved quality, and her primary care physician, and how impressed about his, her improvement. So Mary still continue with us almost over 20 years. So the future medicine for chronic pain should really should a multidisciplinary approach integrate East and Western medicine. Seems like Tibet medicine should be affordable, sustainable, equitable. This Tibetan medicine food, they invited me. <laughs> it's very, very delicious. <laughs> Tibetan medicine, I, I went there. So this, uh, do, do, do you know him? Yeah. You know him, right? Okay. <laughs> Your friends. So, so I have a great time to in, in Tibet, in Qinghai, and it has wonderful collaboration. Okay. So this is my office in the downtown Boston, and uh, this flower from our patients. So this is my office, and uh, this is my contact information. Free, feel free to contact me. It's a great honor to be here again. And uh, I'm very honored to uh, collaborate with the people interested in Tibet medicine. And I have a lot of friends uh, work in this field, uh, especially younger, younger still in the Lhasa, director of Lhasa, right? Why younger didn't come? Yeah. Uh, actually, I... Um, I, I, I still would like to work with Younger and Eric and improve this field. The Tibetan medicine has great potential. Uh, yeah, I'm so happy to be at this conference. Thank you for the invitation. <laughs>